0: Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast. This series features recordings from the annual festival where architects and commentators discuss the latest challenges and innovations in the industry. Make sure you subscribe to always receive the latest episode and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at WorldArchFest. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I hope you found that as stimulating as I did. It's a bit of a wake-up call, isn't it, this time of day? Uh, Welcome to World Architecture Festival 2016. Uh, We launched our festival in 2008, and we were four years in Barcelona, then four years in Singapore. It's great to be back uh, in Europe, um, and it's great to be in Berlin. Why did we pick Berlin? Because it's a city of intense architectural and political interest uh, and activity currently Uh, and it's a very popular city with architects partly because of its heritage and partly because of the new architecture uh, which is emerging here and has emerged in increasing I'd say quality and quantity uh, since the war came down and being in Berlin we were thinking about well what should our conference theme be uh, in this main auditorium uh, for the next two days and housing was the obvious choice uh, firstly because as I'm sure you all know um, the, the refugee crisis uh, across Europe particularly uh, in Germany or the response to it not the crisis itself but the response to it and a very constructive humane response from this country and this city uh, has meant that it's been a subject of great debate and activity. Um, but, secondly, Berlin, of course, had a really interesting history in terms of thinking about uh, the nature of housing, uh, going back to the 19th century with this idea of the Berlin mix, the Berliner Michel, uh, this kind of mixture of uses and people and activities, and then uh, in three waves in the 20th century uh, of examining architecture and housing at various... Uh, long-term festivals, most recently uh, EBA from uh, the 1980s. So that seemed a natural thing to do. And finally, of course, um, architectural activity almost inevitably involves uh, housing, Uh, Most architects have either designed their own home or they've designed a home for a relative, often how they got started in the profession. Uh, And this means the relationship of the profession to this very particular building type, I think, is a kind of personal one as well as a professional one. Um, We're going to cover many aspects of housing over the next two days, but to start us today, I'm really delighted to be able to welcome Ben Van Berkel. Uh, founder of UN Studio in 1999 and previous incarnation of the practice going back to the late 1980s. Um, This is a a practice that not only produces great buildings but also produces stimulating, thought-provoking ideas about the wider field of architecture itself. Ben's just published a book that he tells me he's been working on for eight years called Knowledge Matters, uh, in which he examines the way in which the kind of uh, sensorial or the, 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 the let's say, sen- sensor technology, uh, the invisible aspects of architecture now available through digital technology and other things are beginning to inform the world of architecture as much as its physical uh, reality. And I suppose that things that we now expect to be able to do in terms of automation A very simple example would be the saving of water through sensor systems for people like Grower so that if you haven't got your hands under a tap it doesn't produce water. very basic idea but of course in terms of surveillance and security it's become far more sophisticated and in terms of communications uh, even more so. So we're now in a world where uh, we can do things and we expect standards uh, from our homes and our technologies, which not very long ago would have been the exclusive province uh, of the super-rich. And in, uh, in a way, I think Ben describes it, there's a kind of trickle-down, that things that only the rich could afford or think about have gradually trickled down in the housing market so that the exclusive has, in a sense, become inclusive, um, so, please join me in welcoming our very first main auditorium speaker for WAF two thousand and sixteen Ben van Berkel. Uh,
1: thanks paul um, yes I, I call that uh, super living, although it sounds like uh, Something of the exclusive but when I talk about superliving then I'm uh, talking about the way how uh, Today we can uh, live in an environment. What is unique? What is special what could be more sustainable more healthy? So it's not about the exclusivity of uh, architecture alone Um, but that let's start with with the first experience I had when I was uh, not even yet an architect, uh, when I uh, travelled to Japan when I was only, I think, 21. And um, in that time, I had no money. I, I had to make almost seven step-overs to uh, see, th- see this uh, Katsura Palace in uh, Japan. Uh, but, but it was so overwhelming, it was so uh, 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 beautiful, the experience I had in that palace. Uh, it uh, was so overwhelming even that it uh, changed my mind and uh, um, decided there on the spot to become an architect. But what was the quality What I experienced there? Uh, it was maybe the, the calmness of the space, the relationship between nature and architecture, the way how uh, the uplifting uh, quality of that space f- felt like even uh, two centuries or three centuries later when this was built, Um, uh, was for me uh, the reason why I always felt that I needed to bring that back in one way or the other and revisit this place through my work. Um, And and that's why I like to start also with an earlier project I did, uh, uh, and that was of course later than when I had studied uh, architecture in London, uh, and that is the Möbius House. The Möbius House is a house where already there... I had a visionary client who still lives in this house after close to 20 years um, to work in the house and to, to, to work and live uh, within environment whereby uh, he could be in a place where, where, where working, living and sleeping could be connected to the way how he could live there with, 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 with a family uh, who would grow over uh, in, into uh, a family with um, changes uh, to be happening in this life cycle of living and working within this house? So, we introduced, um, an, an you could say, almost one concrete band, what goes from the outside to the inside of the house. Uh, the other material is the glass, what goes from the outside to the inside of the house. Um, this is a photograph taken um, um, just after when the project was uh, built so in the beginning of 2000 uh, we were never able to photograph the house uh, uh, for private reasons uh, inside the house but I will show you that later this is the house as it is right now with more landscape around it so not only the life cycle of the chains of the people um, in this house is uh, uh, changed, but also the, the the environment around this house. I, I can't go in maybe in all the details of the plan, but as you can see it, it, it the plan even plays with this idea of this life cycle whereby um, the materials go literally, so the facade goes literally from the outside towards the inside to create inside facades in order to make uh, uh, b- certain boundaries between the relationship of uh, there where the children are coming home, uh, where the client said, well, I'd like to see the children when they come home, so I'd like to see them and and, and visually connect to them, but I don't always uh, want to hear them. So so these kind of ideas uh, were part of the way how we played with these indoor and outdoor uh, materials to integrate and to there where we wanted to separate. But as you can see here, the landscape is very close to the house, the trees are also very close to the house and, and even uh, you can view through this glass roof the, the growth of the trees uh, over the time when you are uh, in the house. And, and as you can see almost uh, quite beautifully in this picture here, the, the, the landscape is uh, almost working as a painting to uh, the, the way how it uh, plays with all the living uh, uh, areas uh, in, in the structure of this house. But but notions of reflection and light and and what I said, calmness, were essential. Like, for instance, in the geometry of the house, we worked only with three angles, the 7 degrees, the 9 degrees, and the 11 degrees angles. But I discovered that this calmness didn't have to be introduced in 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 a very simple 90 degrees box. I learned that with these three degrees of... Movement, as I called it, that you could create a kind of sound or a kind of calmness in the house while you would uh, move uh, through this house. And later on, um, I learned as an architect that it was so important to keep on experimenting with this this idea of the the play between the landscape, the quality of living, how you could uh, introduce a form of, uh, call it uh, psychological health, Uh, around the way how you would live uh, with this uh, landscape and and produce calmness and and balance in the way how you uh, uh, are then uh, connected to this uh, uh, landscape. Um, So often uh, I I, I thought a lot about for who do you design this uh, house and and for for what reason Uh, and and this house uh, uh, was for a client, a Russian client who liked actually gold, he loved gold you see that in the picture of this facade. Um, but, but I wanted to maybe play here more with the idea of the self-portrait of the house. So how it could reflect something of the person and the family uh, in the house, <coughs> how the materials and the structure and the organization of this house was designed. Like almost, as we can see in this beautiful uh, image of uh, Lucien Freud's uh, self-portrait, what says so much about uh, the character himself. But as you can see here, the, the landscape also reflects back into the house, so as if you almost can extend the landscape into the house and the experience of the house. And, and with this idea, I wanted to play with the principle of that you don't have to work with the powerful image alone in architecture, but that you create after images, that you can create images whereby you create after thoughts when you leave the house and that you would like to always come back to a place that creates these after images. <coughs> so the house is so organized that uh, whenever you'd like to escape or disappear that you can disappear. But but, but there is a central staircase around this uh, twisted moment as you can see in the central part of the house where people meet, where the family meet and where they can socialize with each other. But But you can always separate from each other in these different corners of the house and that was a critique (coughs) in that time when I designed the house towards the houses I had studied you you, you know about the glass house for instance of uh, Philip Johnson or many other houses we know of that era Um, like uh, the the houses of for instance Mies uh, van der Rohe where where you could almost not disappear in this house you could not not almost hide uh, and here I wanted to play with the idea of hiding and connecting not only with, the con- with of course, the landscape, but that also that is connected to the to way how you live within the house. And the principles of looking at landscape and art were for me in that time, and maybe still uh, today, uh, quite important because <coughs> artists experiment so much with, with the way how they compose and organize the, 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 the idea of the way how sometimes the invisible comes slowly uh, visible over, over a longer time than only looking at the image alone, like this beautiful uh, picture of uh, Egon Schiele, where, where you see in this drawing, again, a self-portrait, uh, but is in a way not finished, where the elements of the hands say more of the inner psychology of the person um, as, uh, as the rest of the, of the, of the picture. Maybe, maybe the hair could say uh, something uh, also about the person, but you know what I mean. These bigger details, the bigger details say a lot about the character. And this idea of the bigger detail and the way how we compose our spaces was maybe the idea of also how we uh, introduce that twist in the house, way where maybe the twist is having a double meaning in the argumentation of a physical idea and a metaphorical idea of the way how the, the twist brings... The people together in this house and where this twisting moment of uh, the social aspect uh, comes together in the house. So so that brings me to this idea of how um, nature and technology can support the way of uh, living uh, today. And in a recent house we did in Holland, it's uh, close to the dunes, uh, uh, so close to the sea in Holland, with some hills in there and you know that Every Dutch architect is happy with a little hill. Um, We don't have so many hills in Holland. Um, But but this site is quite quite, quite, uh, interesting in the relationship to this uh, moving landscape around the dunes of uh, this site. As you can see in the diagram here, we moved up the landscape almost to be part of the inner core of the house, so that you would always from the inner core uh, experience the, the views towards the landscape especially here with the dunes and the the deep horizon we could uh, have around this house. We wanted to experience the house, uh, the landscape, not only from the edge of the house, so only from the facade or the rooms, but like I said, also from the inner place where, again, people would meet and socialize and and come together around the house. Um, The house is highly uh, sustainable in the sense of uh, dealing with health, because I believe that health is the origin Uh, principle of the way how we need to work with uh, uh, our environment, because think about our environment. We need, of course, to save the planet, and we need to uh, think about the ecological development of our planet. But how much time do we spend indoors? Almost 80% of our time is uh, the the rough calculation of uh, us living here in the West of uh, being indoors. 80% of our time. So how do we deal with the quality of the air um, with with the way how we uh, uh, produce energy uh, with, with our house. And here we made the, the house uh, energy neutral. We had an air um, circulation system that was uh, really uh, so clean and, 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 and beautiful that it uh, actually is as off if you are outside when you are inside, etc. But in in the organization of the house, we made um, um, a flower-leaf-like kind of structure. So there are four rooms where one uh, could uh, move around. So there are two places for for the children, uh, two rooms or two corners, and then there are two places for the living area uh, and the two owners of the house. And, and what was quite uh, 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 touching in the way how we developed in the, the house was... That the owners uh, didn't know if they would uh, take uh, kids because they they um, they were actually over a longer time um, interested in, in adopting but they didn't know if that uh, that would really happen. But over the years they adopted two kids and they became part of the whole uh, uh, fourfold uh, quality of the of the house. But the most essential was that we developed a program and a flexible. System within the four quadrants of the house, whereby always these four quadrants could be changed in program, so that it would create a flexibility in the organization if the family wanted that, because they they changed it when the kids came there. Um, so we called it the switching on and off uh, qualities in the way how the four leaves of the house could uh, uh, be developed. So, so what I'm saying is that. If we introduce new technology, adaptive sensorial uh, qualities within the house, then of course we need to also apply that to the way how we improved it in the organization and the design of the house. So it should not only be so that the technology is um, uh, just an add-on system like we often did with the sustainable aspects of architecture, whereby we introduced only a green roof and then we called the building a green uh, building. That's not what we are uh, supporting here. Uh, we want to have it integrally fully organized in the way how it is also uh, improving uh, the organization of the design. so here you see the this middle core of the house with a transparent uh, uh, stair whereby you always could have these uh, beautiful views to the context of uh, the house and then you see here i mean how how deep the the perspective is of uh, the views of, the, of this house and and how how lively you can uh, in this uh, organization of the house you can use the house in so many corners and and parts of the uh, the, the house like the roof and uh, and uh, anywhere else you see on the picture, another uh, aspect was that the the the, the client um, was also interested in improving a facade here but would connect itself to its nature um, so so we created these kind of uh, areas on the facade where uh, birds could nest. They were interested in that that, uh, idea. And over the years, uh, many types of uh, birds uh, started to nest themselves in this facade, even nightingales, uh, whereby they became part of the the living uh, quality of the the organization of this house. Well, here you see the the poetic uh, relationship and the calmness also in the way how one corner of the leaf of this house is organized, but as I mentioned uh, on the right hand side, you don 't see that here in the picture uh, the house is uh, is um, as flexible as on on the left hand side because uh, they eat now on the on the on this wing of the side, but they often uh, eat also on the other side and then move the table to the other part of the house but that brings me to the topological uh, aspect of of the way how we can uh, um, um, uh, rethink uh, our house uh, organizations and, and, um, and also the typological uh, aspect, of course. Um, so it's not about uh, hybridizing alone uh, new types of living in the way how we organize our programs, but it's also so that uh, um, we can transform houses in totally new uh, um, settings. Um, and I will show you one example. And I, be, I like the reference of this, uh, uh, this painting um, where uh, painters uh, are in this uh, national uh, gallery in Scotland are um, coming into the gallery and they, with the students and they learn to copy the paintings uh, around them. And that idea was introduced by a fantastic uh, uh, client I had in New York who is a uh, collector and he wanted to live with his collection. For him, the collection was more important almost than his living area. So the central part of the house is the area where he had this, you could say, private gallery, and uh, all the furniture and the carpets underneath the furniture were or needed to be able to move around uh, the central gallery space or living space, as you would like to call it, and all the other programmatic elements like the kitchen, the the sleeping room, the bathroom were all uh, moved to the edges of the house. And you can see can see it here. The space was not so high, so we introduced this yeah LED ceiling, whereby uh, we could. Uh, and this is already you know. The house was designed ten years ago. So in that time, uh, we were quite uh, advanced also with technology because here the client wanted to uh, change the color of the light constantly related to the way how we want to improve a an, an particular kind of well-being or um, psychological, again, um, uh, quality within the way how we would uh, uh, live during the day differently than uh, during the night. And with that, he could change himself uh, uh, with a an, uh, an, uh, an, uh, system um, uh, always the color of the light. But but you can see here, um, he lives with his paintings, he moves around every night with, with the furniture and the places where he eats, for instance, and his friends so that he can every night talk about a different painting and uh, c- can tell his stories about the history of why he bought his painting and how it fits in his collection. But the argument we made was to open up his uh, uh, the back part of the loft um, Uh, so that that the windows would become an as important painting uh, where he would uh, look uh, at, but then more a lively painting, so that it would change constantly in the frame of the way how we'd look from his bed or his workplace to um, to, to this painting. But but, uh, he often made a joke, because Klein made a joke to me, uh, saying, Ben, I don't know how I need to interpret this uh, house because when I make up my bed then, then really it looks all like art. So then I have the feeling that I uh, live in a uh, gallery but when I don't make up my uh, uh, bed then I'm uh, having have the, have the feeling that I'm uh, living in uh, in my own home. So that, that type of uh, double living or that hybridized aspect of living I would like to emphasize in the way how we can improve our environment not only by of course art alone but you can introduce so many other aspects of the way how you can improve uh, qualities of living uh, then only uh, think about living alone <coughs> and that idea of um, living um, is, is constantly coming back in our, our major projects uh, today wherever we uh, design an office building in Holland right now or around the world we convince that this um, office building needs to be also be transformed to it's a possibility by by it can be turned into uh, housing. This is the project, it's an office building but it can be so turned into uh, into a housing where the, the inner courts um, or these uh, void spaces can become balconies and the shafts are so organized that the, the building can be turned into housing and I think this is the most important aspect of uh, flexibility today this transformative programmatic uh, possibilities because um, I don't know if you know that but in Holland we have close to uh, a million um, or in Amsterdam I have to say in Amsterdam alone we have more than a million empty square meters of uh, office uh, spaces. So there is a need to rethink that uh, type typology in a new way. So so that brings me to the last topic, and it is uh, uh, the social or the sociality aspect of design. So how can you improve um, uh, integral living and all the things I already explained in a way, to it's the way how you bring that into a larger scale project. And we did many. Um, um, And and, uh, this is a project we did with 3XN in in Aarhus, But, but here we wanted to create neighborhoods in the sky. So that people would meet and, and through the amenities people would enjoy to be living with each other. Because as you know, a lot of people don't like it to come off out, out of their apartment and, um, and then come in the empty street and there is no service or quality uh, between the way how they can meet other people or their neighbors. And so many house, housing projects have been designed uh, like that uh, from the 60s onwards or early on. Towards even 90s and the beginning of 2000, but we really radically want to change that. Um, so, so this idea of the neighbourhoods and the sky with the different amenities uh, improved the way how people live here. Uh, and as you can see on the balconies here, where um, uh, on the picture on the on the right, um, by articulating these balconies a little bit differently than than in an uh, in an um, yeah in another design, we uh, wanted to. Uh, make these balconies as a product, as an element of the interior, so that it became a kind of extended element of the interior. And it's really actively used. Um, but that brings me to the last project, and a more radical, and it was a more difficult project. And that it is that I, over the years when I was in China or Korea, I was so shocked by the amount of density of housing uh, produced there, and that <coughs> so many families, would live in these houses by only having a number on these buildings. So whenever a kid would walk around these uh, uh, white and neutral uh, housing projects without any any amenities, they would actually not find so easily their house. So when we were asked by a client in uh, Korea to rethink with us uh, the way how the quality of these housing projects could be improved, I thought it was a difficult question because Uh, In the beginning, I didn't want to do it because I was thinking, yeah, but what can we improve? Because the the budgets are very low. um, um, The quality of the way how they're produced is is very uh, compactly organized. So I went through a process with this client whereby we were able to reduce down in the process of designing with new technologies close to 10% of the the process of production. So not only building production, but also in the way how all the specialists Uh, And the architects would improve a a form of quickness by building this uh, project so that we could save close to four to five percent in the building budget to do more with these buildings and that is how we were able to improve a new form of um, a series of courtyards in the buildings of these uh, building blocks where many uh, community activities could be introduced uh, many amenities cafes community centers, uh, c- crashes uh, for kids. Uh, and all these uh, qualities were then to, to be in, introduced in order to create a kind of social health around an, an enormous amount of people living there. You have to imagine in one of these blocks is having close to 2,000 two, two units, uh, 7,000 uh, people, close to 7,000 people live in these uh, in these blocks. So th- these densities are enormous. I mean, densities we even don't know here in this part of the world. Um, So as I said, uh, all these courtyards were uh, used for improving a community uh, quality uh, within this environment. And what we did was to uh, color these buildings so that people would know where they would would be and that that the buildings would have a little bit more uh, different identity than a neutral uh, blank image of an enormous amount of uh, uh, buildings with only a number. And as you see here, uh, with this idea of the neighborhoods in the sky, we didn't want to staple these neighborhoods. We wanted to uh, diagonally cross them over through the uh, uh, buildings, over, over an enormous set of uh, buildings from the exterior towards the interior of the, of the site. And, and the beauty is that uh, all these people moving in these blocks, uh, they, um, they were so inspired by, by the colors that they introduced these colors also uh, in the way how they developed their uh, interiors. Um, and you can see here how especially the courtyards are designed with more green. Actually, this was only uh, two weeks after w- when the project was finished, so you may have to imagine that after two, three years, these trees will, will be fuller and, um, and, and richer, and we create all of these uh, sport activities uh, in the middle of the, of the center of these uh, blocks. And the, and the warmer colors were uh, binding the buildings uh, much more than uh, the whiteness of the buildings as we have seen them. So that brings me to, to the beginning uh, to create this balance between uh, the environment of where we live in and how that balance could be improved by new forms of calmness and health and, and integral relationship between nature and, and living. And particularly this ritual of living uh, where maybe in, in the Japanese culture there was so much attention given to in the 16th or the, and the 17th century. I think we should uh, focus on more when we design uh, houses, the ritual of living today is different than we did uh, before. Um, so it was not for nothing that Bruno Taut, when he visited uh, this uh, Katsura Palace, said that maybe modernism was uh, invented in Japan in the 17th century. And, and maybe that's where I like to go back to as well. Let's reinvent uh, how to be modern by going back to what we have uh, learned from uh, other centuries. Thank you very much.
0: <clears throat> Bend. Bend. Thank, you very, thank you very much for that. Uh, what a great way to start our festival because I think this, um, this image, the calmness and definitely the kind of modernity of this image which inspired you uh, for your life in architecture um, has taken this rather extraordinary turn because the last project you showed with this incredible density and incredible height, um, I'm assuming that you think that by the use of landscape in a communal sense and by the plan arrangement of those apartments that actually you can still find some of the qualities which you admired uh, in Japan to what extent can the individual unit itself uh, be a place uh, of calm and can you get that relationship to nature uh, when, when you've got 7,000 people in the block?
1: Yeah, yes, because you know we were not allowed to photograph uh, these uh, interiors because we tried many times but um, it's quite difficult in, in, in that culture to, uh, to, to come into the private spaces uh, but we will keep on trying. Um, but, but what I can tell you of these interiors is that they, they were all very um, much inspired by not so much uh, maybe um, the nature of uh, trees, etc., but the way how they were fascinated in the color arrangements we introduced. And they liked it that they said to the kids, well, you know, think of it that we are in the, in the building block with the yellow streams and, um, and, and the green bands. So that they could point at their houses instead of uh, pointing at, an, at a building they could not uh, find, so it worked as a wayfinder um, uh, on the outside, but also in, in the interiors they they applied um, a form of compact living, and I think that is the the future uh, of uh, many people uh, discussing right now um, that compact living doesn 't have to be. Um, uh, be associated only with uh, with uh, social housing alone. I think that uh, we know that from hotel rooms for instance, you know, if you have a good hotel uh, and where everything is really beautifully compactly designed, then even on a on an, uh, size of 80 square meters or 45 square meters, you can have uh, an, an, uh, an inspiring uh, uh, in indoors environment. And, and, and in Korea, it's a little bit like in Japan, there is this beauty of living in a compact manner, whereby natural elements, like, for instance, you know, the, the culture of the tatami mat, living on the ground, uh, living with uh, minimal elements, can 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 inspire them to be in, in an outdoor space.
0: Because the the irony, of course, for architects is that the smaller the spaces become, quite often for economic reasons or you know cost cost-cutting reasons, actually you need more design not less. Um, but the, the, the drivers are all the wrong way around, aren't they? Because the people who want to produce things at the cheapest cost, they also want architects to work for the cheapest fee. Um, and it's precisely when you need a greater concentration uh, on design that you, quite often, that you don't get it. I think you've been quite lucky with your clients.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, but, but you know it yourself that even when you do luxury homes, um, and often, um, architects with the profile we have, they they don't do these homes anymore because they, they take so much time and energy and they don't get the right... They often say, well, we don't get the right fee for it. But I do think that that is what, what is the essential part of learning from living, that you, I, I force myself to do these homes because I learn so much from them. And I can apply them towards uh, more affordable housing and social housing where I'm now wanting to be uh, much more active in. I think the whole aspect of affordable housing is a whole new topic. We have not looked at the last 10 years. It, it didn't come up so often. In, you know, it was not uh, part of the policy in many countries, um, apart from maybe Asia.
0: Because one of the interesting things in your talk was this um, proposition that other building types um, are more than capable of being adapted for housing provided that somebody's thought about that from the outset. And I wonder, you know, you mentioned the million square meters of um, empty offices in Amsterdam. In general, was it, is, is it easy to convert those buildings for housing purposes? Or for some of it, is it impossible for one reason or another?
1: Yeah, it's so impossible. I mean, uh, most of these uh, buildings, there, you cannot uh, move into housing because the cores are so organized that they um, are, are not so easy to connect towards uh, four or five housing types on one floor. So, and, and you know, like in, in um, England or many other places, there are so many rules for housing uh, that, that the system is not, a, I mean, for instance, you need to have outdoor spaces. Uh, fire escapes are very important in, these, uh, in the system of housing. So, so you need to really have a uh, system that is flexible yeah, but it is, I mean, it's really an, a major problem. It's a major problem in Holland that we cannot change these buildings.
0: You showed an example of an office building you were designing where, in effect, you built in, um, you've built in the possibility of future change. Can you say what effect that actually had on the cost? Was it a relatively expensive building as a result of that? No. Or was there a way of doing it where it was a conventional uh, cost office but with this inbuilt flexibility?
1: No, it, is, it was I, well. It was actually a bit more expensive because we had to um, create uh, the void spaces. Although the void spaces were also necessary for bringing more light to a deeper plan. So I mean, that's also even in Holland a uh, big uh, regulation or major regulation that you have to bring uh, all the light so deep as possible into the plan. But no, it costed only uh, two or three percent more over the ho- uh, total cost. But don't forget that. Um, that the value of the whole building became much higher than in the whole uh, uh, area of the south axis in, uh, in uh, Amsterdam. And many um, high-end uh, clients liked it to be there because they, they, they were interested in that idea that, that they would buy something that is uh, more flexible and, and with that also create more value.
0: I mean, from a sustainability point of view, um, the idea of allowing for residential use is which in fact guarantee enormous longevity compared with office buildings. I mean, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting area, isn't it? Because generally financial systems have tended to place more value on commercial buildings that may only last 25 years rather than on residential buildings that could last 100 or, or even 200 years.
1: No, I totally agree. Uh, but, but that is the same in the way how you apply... Um, uh, installations, for instance, in buildings. I, I recently did a building in Groningen, so in the north of Holland, uh, where uh, for an, um, a government client, and here we introduced an installation technique what is uh, used in, uh, in, in hospitals. Um, and that is a technique whereby air is not moving, circulates anymore between one person and the other, whereby you create a lot of uh, building sickness, etc. But air is moving uh, directly from, from the floor into the ceiling. And that cost us also, you know, maybe 5% more than the standard uh, installation cost. But with this, we were able to reduce down 20% over the five years that the building is now there of uh, sick leave in the building. So the client was so unbelievably happy that they invested in this extra value of uh, this specific uh, installation technique. And it's an, you know, an installation technique that exists already for a long time in hospitals. Like in an operation room, you cannot have bacteria moving from one person to the other. So that, you know, it's a very simple system. And I I think this aspect of uh, health and indoor health, where I'm also so interested in... Well, this
0: this is what I was going to ask as a a final question, actually, because the air quality that you referred to in one of those lovely houses, that, at the moment, that that kind of air thing is something that we're only generally experiencing in commercial buildings with this well-standard... Um, but obviously, it can be done in housing, and I wonder if you, I wonder if you think that's an example of um, a technology which currently is really only available to the pretty rich in their homes. Do you see that as another example of where we're going to get a trickle down, and maybe in twenty or twenty-five years' time, the nature of the air that we're absorbing yeah. in apart- in apartments as as well as homes will, will be will be changed.
1: Oh, definitely. I, 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 because if, if it already gives statistic proofs that it can reduce down sick leave, for instance, and also at home, you know, that it could reduce the, the sick leave or, the, you know, people getting sick, is that, um, that that will definitely change. And I think many more aspects of investment in the relationship to a healthy environment will be, um, will be uh, uh, applicable and, and, and used uh, for less more money because it's also creating so much more value it creates a much more value and and you know like what i said if hospitals you know hospitals don't have often so much money for the way how they uh, build their buildings uh, if they can afford it why can we not afford it in uh, in office buildings and in our housing projects
0: good question to end with ben van Berkel. thank you very much indeed thank you